Hi, I'm Janelle. And I'm Monique. And welcome to Is Marriage Worth It? We are just two single chicks, girls, women. Anything but females. Trying to figure out what marriage is like and is it worth it? I'm assuming the best place to get the answers is from married people. Maybe engaged people, newlyweds, and even other singles. Each episode, we will have a guest answering different questions we have or that you may have about marriage. Join us as we try to figure out, is marriage worth it? And if it is, I wonder if my future husband or yours is listening right now. Hi, I'm Monique. And I'm Janelle. And welcome back to another episode of... Is marriage worth it? Our guest today is Randall. And the way that he is a guest is he reached out to me, slid into my DMs on Facebook and said, hey, um, here's my brief profile i've listened to a few of your episodes and i would like to be a guest and knowing me i'm here for everybody's story so we invited him on so thank you randall hey it's a pleasure to be here so if you could start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself uh well i'm interested in this show because of my background i have worked as a paralegal and private investigator for you know last decade and many of the cases that I proceeded over have been involved in the family law courts involving uh, divorce and relationships and things of these sorts and now that I'm in my early 30s I have quite a bit of dating experience and I've watched a few of your episodes and I thought you know, I think that I would be able to bring some interesting perspectives to your podcast and the overall question, is marriage worth it? (laughs) Okay. All right. So you said you are in your 30s. Are you single, married, in a relationship? I'm single. So, you know, if you, if anyone wants to Google my name and you like what you see, let's talk. <laughs> He's out here using our podcast as a dating platform. If he gets somebody before me, we're going to have a problem. All right. That's all that I'm saying. <laughs> all right. So how long have you been single for? Um, let's see. It's, I'm going on around like nine or 10 months now. So close up to a year. Okay. Okay. How long was that last relationship? How long did that last? Uh, I want to say maybe about two years, maybe a little bit under, but yeah, around that time. That's a long, that's a long time. Well, to me, it is, it is a long time. So how did you meet that person? Uh, well, Halloween is actually my favorite holiday because it's the one day of the year that you can be yourself. And what I mean by that is if you want someone to be themselves, all you have to do is get them to wear a mask. You know, if if someone thinks that they're anonymous, then they'll open up and be who they are. So I, I feel that Halloween is a day when people can put on a mask and they can sort of cut loose and, uh, and be brave. So I was at a Halloween party and I'm dressed up and I'm walking around with a friend and, uh, you know, I see her, she's up at the bar ordering some drinks for her and her girls or whatever. 
and I just noticed her and I was like, I was like, wow, something about her, her aura just sort of caught me. And I was like, wow, she's really beautiful. And then I have my friend standing next to me and he's like grabbing my shirt, like, come on, man. I'm like, wait, wait, what about this girl over here? You know, she's kind of cute. And he's like, man, I bet you won't talk to her. And I was like, watch this. So I walk up and like shoot my shot and you know, it's super noisy and I'm dressed up as like this, uh, like fallen angel. I'm dressed in all black and have like these huge angel wings and it's like hitting everybody in the face. And there's like five people wanting to fight me. And, uh, so I was like, I got to make this quick. So I asked her her name and I tell her my name. I was like, look, I think you're really cute. And uh, I happened to have an ink pen in my pocket and I grabbed her receipt and wrote my number on it. I was like, just text me. <laughs> And then like two days later, she ended up texting me. She's like, you're crazy, but I think you're kind of cool. You know, it was nice meeting you. And it kind of just snowballed from there, you know. That's nice. That's impressive. I'm not going to lie. Impressive. (laughs) You had the guts to go and talk to a pretty girl. You thought she was pretty. You said, hey, shoot my shot. And it worked. And it worked. Well, and the thing is, and this is something that a lot of ladies don't understand, is that you know, if, if you're a woman and this is just like the way that society is set up, it is what it is. But if you're a lady, you get dressed up nice and you go to an event and you're probably going to get at least one or two guys to come up and say something to you. But as a guy, we, you know, we don't always get a whole lot of women, you know, approaching us because that's not the culture. So a man will face a lot more rejection in his lifetime than a woman so, yeah, it, it does take a lot of bravery, especially when you have all these prior experiences of women saying, you know, oh, I already got a boyfriend or I'm not interested or they give you this look like you're some creepy dude, like, oh, get away from me. <laughs> and, and you have to br- and you have to brush off all that previous experience and you have to go up to this girl and just act like it's fresh. And and, you know, damn well, there's like a 90 percent chance that she's just going to be like, ah, whatever. But. You know, if something in your heart tells you, you know, something about this person is just speaking to me and I'm not going to let it go. And I don't want to torture myself with what if. So screw it. Like, let's just see what happens. Tell all the guys that I have ever rejected when you guys shot your shot. My apologies. I didn't realize that you guys have to kind of live with that and keep <laughs> yeah. going. Dang, that it, it, is yeah, rough. It, it, because here, here's the thing that women don't realize when a guy comes up and talks to you and he's like, Hey, what's your name? Or, or, you know, whatever his spiel is, it might be spontaneous in the moment. And, and that's best case scenario, because if it's spontaneous, then he doesn't have time to think and be nervous. And that's the best way to go about it. So any guys that are listening, best advice for you, if you see a pretty girl, just immediately go for it before your mind talks you out of it. But a lot of times if a guy comes up and talks to you, he might have spotted you from across the street or wherever, and he might have spent two or three minutes wrestling with himself, being like, oh, man, she's going to think I'm ugly or she's going to you know, think that my voice sounds stupid, whatever, and you know, she's going to reject me. And he has all this back and forth, and then there might be this other voice saying to him, what if she says yes, man, just go for it, you know, and then whichever voice wins – is what's going to happen. So ladies, if a guy comes up to you 
and he tries to shoot his shot at you, even if you're not interested, even if you're not feeling it, you know, have some respect for him because it, like, it, it takes a lot of courage to even initiate that. But now, but now for all the guys out there, you know, uh, there's a lot of men out here who are rapists and criminals and all this kind of stuff. So don't go up to a lady being overly aggressive because, you know, she, she might think that you're trying to attack her. So on both ends, it can be a little bit nerve wracking. Those are fair points. All right. So question before I ask you more about that relationship, how often would you shoot your shot just like spontaneously? Did you do it a lot? Well, I mean, sorry if this offends anybody, but, you know, I consider myself a really spiritual kind of religious guy. You know, I I pray twice a day when I wake up in the morning, first thing I do and before I go to sleep. So I really just, I don't even know how to explain this in words, but I kind of just, and I know this might sound cliche or kind of corny, but I, I really do listen to my heart. I mean, every single day, that I walk around going to the grocery store or wherever, at least once a day, I'll see a beautiful young woman. But 99% of the time, I'm not going to go up and approach her. But just every now and then, I'll just see this girl, and I can't even give you specific reasons, but sometimes I'll just see a woman and just something in my heart would just, like, I'll get, you know, I'll get these goosebumps saying, hey, you have to go talk to this person. So I really can't explain it. (laughs) Okay. Not bad for a (laughs) non-explanation. I'm sorry. I mean, I I, I gave you this like politician's answer of like, I answered the question, but I didn't really say anything. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm being serious. It wasn't a bad (laughs) answer for not having an answer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just can't split it. It's sort of like asking someone, why do you like the taste of ketchup it's like i don't know i just do like it just it just works for some reason i don't know (laughs) that actually makes sense though that makes sense now i I, I, i'm not one of these guys it's just like oh you know she she, she's got these uh succulent lips and she's got you know this long beautiful hair okay if that was the case i would be tired because like there's so many beautiful women in the world if I was to go up and like try to talk to every single one of them, I wouldn't get any bills paid. So I have to listen. I have to listen to this intuition, whatever it is, you know, you can call it God or, you know, if you're an atheist and don't believe in God, you know, you can call it intuition, whatever, but I don't know. I, I kind of just, just fill it out. But there have been times where I, I have come across people and I, I did chicken out and was like, man, she's really beautiful. And I'm kind of overhearing, uh, you know, a conversation and she sounds very articulate and intelligent. And I'm like, wow, she, she seems interesting. And then I started having those conversations in my mind. Like, you know, she doesn't know you. Like, how are you going to approach this person? And you're coming up with all these strategies and, and tactics. And then you look up and she's gone. So <laughs> that, that, that has happened to me quite a few times. And then, you, you punch yourself in the face like, oh, man, I, I, I should have been brave. Maybe I like I need to walk around with like, a, uh, you know, some Jack Daniels in my pocket or something and drink some liquid courage. I don't know. <laughs> so it sounds like you are definitely for meeting people organically. So what Not are you? Are you an online dater? 
I have tried that. So, so you know, pe- people have asked me this question, which is better, like organic, naturally meeting someone just spontaneously in public or doing online dating or trying to, you know, jump in somebody's DMs, you know, <laughs> maybe you're on, maybe you're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And then you just come across somebody's, uh, you know, account and you look at their profile picture and it was like, oh man, they're kind of cute. Or if you're a girl, they're handsome. And then you look at their page and kind of see things that they're posting and maybe you have something in common with them and you're like, Hey, you know, I want to talk to this person. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm for both. You know, if, if you are a fisherman, you don't want to just cast your net in one river. Like why not attack all the rivers? But there all, there are pros and cons to both. And for organic, just naturally, you know, dating, just being out there in the world, if you run into someone at the grocery store and you just hit it off and have this great conversation and you exchange numbers, the great thing about that is when you meet someone in the real world and it's spontaneous, you can sort of see what you're getting because people can manipulate profile pictures. They can have filters, all these kind of things. But when you meet someone in person, you kind of know at least a little bit of what you're getting. And whenever you meet someone, and this is my mindset, when I meet a beautiful woman for the first time, that's already a date initially, you know, like I'm looking at you right now. Okay. Like we're doing this video chat or whatever. And, you know, and I, I think you're a, a beautiful young lady. Every time that you meet someone, that's a potential date. That's a potential uh, sales opportunity. If it's for business, initial meetings are very powerful. So, that first initial meeting is very powerful. But with online dating, let's say that you're into tall guys or you're into short guys or you're into intelligent guys that have, you know, PhDs. You can go on these websites and sort of filter all that out. And then you can sort of scroll and look through and then message people. So you you sort of have this advantage of filtering out all these things that you don't want and go for exactly what you do want. But the backside is, is that if you go on these online dating websites, every person that you're talking to, there's probably at least, you know, five or 10 other people messaging that same person. And you're kind of like standing in this line and then, oh, you made the cut. I'm talking to you and these two other people. And these are like my top three. And then you get kind of filtered out and then you arrange this meeting and you end up meeting this person and they either exceed your expectations or you meet them and you're like, huh, wow. Okay. Like you're just a totally fabricated thing. Actually my non-existent person that I don't know is texting me and it's an emergency that I'm totally making up right now, but Mm -hmm. I gotta go. (laughs) That's true. So so interrupt me whenever I'm telling a lie. Like both of you have been very quiet. So obviously I'm speaking some truths. I mean, you're not wrong. Like you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, so, 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 so when it comes to organic natural meetings versus online dating, if you're at a point in your life where you've done the work on yourself and you feel like you're, you're healed up and you're ready to, to date and you're ready to go out there then cast your net as far as you can. 
Yeah, uh, get on dating websites. And I'm not talking about uh, Tinder or any of these hookup apps, but grown folk websites, okay? What are these grown folk websites? Please enlighten us. (laughs) You got to put money for the grown folk website. uh, Exactly. If if someone's spending money to be on a website, then that means that they're serious about looking for somebody. But if you get on one of these free things, hey, you get what you pay for. And now I'm not saying that you couldn't meet someone. I'm not saying that you couldn't meet someone of quality on one of these like free websites like you know tinder or plenty of fish or whatever it is because i actually have a friend he met his wife on tinder but here's the thing it was her first day on the website and it was his first day so they had they they haven't been tainted by the experience yet you know so they got very lucky first discover a star before you'd find that happening again (laughs) So, I mean, I, I guess it was divine intervention. It was just meant to be. But like I said, I, I am kind of a, like a, a religious guy. And I think if you're looking for something in your life, you should cast that net as far as you can. And uh, you, you have a much better chance because things very rarely just fall in your lap. So if you're at a point in your life where you're like, hey, I want to get married or I want to have a serious relationship, why would you limit yourself to just, oh, I have to meet this person in a grocery store, or I have to meet this person on Tinder, or I have to meet this person at church or school. Like, no, cast that net as far as you can. And like the analogy that I made earlier, if you're a a fisherman and you're hungry, you're not just going to go to one river or one lake. If you're hungry, you know, you're going to go anywhere you can to catch that fish. I think I'm that lazy fisherman. Like, I think I'm lazy. Can't be lazy. Ah, see, that's my problem. I'm on the fence. I'm not quite sure. I don't think I'm ready. Like, you know what? I'm just gonna say it. I don't think I'm ready. I think I found my answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and see, I'm glad that you said that because I think that there's a lot of people out there that are in the dating world. Maybe they have some online dating profile. Maybe they're going to parties and and trying to be sociable, but they're only doing it because of pressure. Like maybe their mother or father, you know, is saying to them, hey, you're such and such age, you know, you're you're 31 years old. When are you going to get married or all of your girlfriends are, you know, suddenly getting married? Or maybe you're a guy and all the guys that you used to hang out with sorry, man, I can't hang out tonight because my wife wants me to stay home. And then you start feeling this pressure like, man, I need to go get with someone, even though I'm happy being single. And even though, or maybe I'm not ready to start dating, I feel this pressure. So, okay, I guess I better go to this party or I better create this online you know, dating profile, but you're not really fully into it. And I think what you just said is very mature. If you're not ready, if you know 100% in your heart, I don't want to be with nobody right now. I want to focus on God or I want to focus on my career or I want to start going to the gym, get my health or maybe get my finances together. If you're at that point in your life, the best thing that you can do is to not date. Because if you date someone when you're not ready, you're either going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt that other person. And then you're going to send that hurt person out into the world to hurt other people. 
preach. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. First of all, you can't preach yourself. You have to get other people to preach you. But that's I, I, not, I, I, <laughs> I mean, hurt people do hurt other people. So like when you yeah. put yourself in a position and you're not ready for something and somebody invests a lot into it, then that person's going to be hurt and they're going to be bitter towards other people. So I see where you're coming from for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 can, I, I can tell you so many stories, man. Like every girl that you meet that, that's putting on that short dress and going to the club and she's hooked up with a hundred guys. At one point in her life, she was a very pure and innocent person and somebody just destroyed her. And she was like, you know what? I'm not going to believe in this uh, being loyal thing. I'm just going to have fun. And then for every player guy that you meet, it's like, hey, what's up, girl? Hey, hey, you know, all this kind of stuff. And maybe they've already hooked up with 100 girls in their life. At one point, they were that guy that was bringing flowers to somebody's door. And then they, 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 they just got crushed. You know, like nobody's born a player. Nobody's, you know, born being some, you know, promiscuous, you know, woman, like, I, I, I just really don't believe that. I think this is, this is learned behavior as a result of trauma. Okay. Agree, uh, agree, uh, agree or disagree. That That's my opinion. I, I can see where that point is coming from, but I also think that there is a subset of our society in which you're told to have fun and you don't need to settle down necessarily. And so then people won't. And then you get to an age, usually in your early 30s, and they're like, but why aren't you settled down? It's like, I was told that I should have all the fun that I have because I couldn't have fun until I married. And then I, now you want me to be married out of nowhere, but I've only met people that I would like to have fun with. So I think that, I think that there's points to what you said, but I just think that we also are there are sections of the society in which they're like, we don't need to go through what is such traditional ideologies of how to get to marriage. Well, and like some people just like marriage isn't as early as it is for other people. So like maybe they have fun until 40 and then they get married at 40 or later on. Well, yeah. And, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, judge anybody or anything. And obviously the most important thing is transparency you know, I don't care what your age is or what your ideology is. As long as both parties are being 100 percent honest, then, hey, that's on them. But the problem comes when someone's like, hey, I love you. I want to marry you. But they're just saying that to get something out of you. That's where the real problems happen. Uh, so, so, yeah, so, that's 100%. So, that's where a lot of trauma comes from is dishonesty on part on right. the part of um, unfaithful partners. So, so I absolutely agree with you on that part that, that not everybody subscribes to the traditional, you know, mainstream narrative of what relationships and marriages. I mean, there's people who do polyamory. There's people who have uh, multiple wives, like in Islamic culture, having multiple wives is, you know, very acceptable, you know, um, but then in other places, it's against the law and it's called, you know, polygamy. And that's why. And this is something that I want to touch on is it's so important for people to travel like a lot of people in. And, and, I, and I know traveling is expensive and it, it's it's not accessible to a lot of uh, people. I mean, 80 percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, believe me, I, I feel you. But 
even if it's through, you know, Peace Corps or the military or um, some kind of foreign exchange program, find some way to go to another country because just because you think dating is messed up or it doesn't suit your values, there are hundreds of countries in the world and there are some countries out here, like, like for example, and, and I'm going to touch on both sides the super conservative person and like the super liberal person. If you're a super conservative person, you know, you can go to a conservative country like uh, Korea or the Philippines or India or somewhere in the Middle East, and you can find a wife or a husband that is very likely to uh, be a virgin and believe in God and like they don't drink or do drugs or whatever. And they're all about that sort of lifestyle. But now let's say that you're someone who I don't want to have kids. I enjoy just, you know, having fun or I just want to have that companionship. In, in France, they have this thing called lover's hour. It happens around, I think, six or seven o'clock where people actually go meet up with their mistresses or their side partners. And it's a part of their culture. So don't get stuck in this in this paradigm that oh i only have to date people within my my sphere my race my religion or whatever it is if you're having trouble finding what it is that you want i encourage you to go pick up that passport the world is bigger than your own backyard amen but also follow the rules and the laws in which you're going because yes, please, please, please do that. Don't, don't, don't break the law. <laughs> if, if you're living somewhere and it says, hey, you can only have one husband or one wife or else you're going to jail, then yes, follow the local laws and customs and cultures wherever you're living. All right. So we are actually going to rewind because I want to follow up with like this first question or whatever we were talking about to begin with. You were dating this person for two years, right? Were you guys close to marriage or anything, or you guys just dated for two years and then called it quits? Yeah, I mean, it it did get very serious, you know, like uh, there was an engagement and all these kind of things. And I I realized what the mistakes were like, I mean, even to this day, I mean, I still have a, a high opinion of her. And I would like to think that she has nice things to say about me because I did a lot of nice things for her and her family. And she did a lot of nice things for you know me and my family, helping each other out in tough situations. But I, I realized what the mistake was, is that we both found each other both very physically attractive and we both had very common values when it came to uh, like family. And she was religious and, and you know so was I. But we also like to kind of have fun, too. And because, you know, I kind of do have like a little bit of a of a, a wild you know side to me, like everyone does. And we were really clicking. But I think that we were spending way too much time just having fun, traveling, going to restaurants, doing all these things. And then before we knew it, you know, uh, a year had passed by and we never, ever really discussed anything about the future. And then just out of nowhere, it was just like, we're sitting down one night, having dinner, everything's great. You know, how was your day? How was my day? All this stuff. 
And she's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to start, you know, having kids and like, what are we and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, man, here it comes. And I think a lot of times people make mistakes in, in dating because they either feel lonely and, and me and her both met each other when we were kind of at lonely spots in our lives because she had just moved to the area she had just moved to the area that I was living in. So she didn't know a whole lot of people. And then at that time I had just got a new job. So like all of my old coworkers were pretty much, you know, out of my life. And I used to hang out with them a lot and it was sort of far away from where I was at now. So we were in very similar spots and we were filling in voids in each other's hearts, but we never really talked about, planning for the future the whole entire thing was based on just sort of fun but when it came down to it like getting serious okay let's talk about having kids or do you want to live here in this area your whole life and she did she was like I don't want to move but I was like you know I I don't plan on living here too much longer and oh I want to have lots of kids well I only want to have you know maybe two at the most and then suddenly the realness started to set in like the fun was pushed to the side and now commitments were being discussed. And because we had been together for a while, you know, I had this great attachment and I, and I kind of felt these obligations and I started putting pressure on myself and I was like, well, I got to man up and do the right thing. Or do I, because we don't have any children together and we're not married and all these things. We've basically just been on this roller coaster ride. And I kind of had to make, you know, make a choice where I was like, you know what, upon further inspection, we don't have the same vision for the future. And we sort of both mutually agreed that we both helped each other. We both learned a lot from each other, but um, we have to be honest. And I think it's time for you to go left and for me to go right. And it was honestly, you know, one of the more mature sort of breakups that I've ever had in my life. And uh, yeah. It was, it, it was definitely an experience. <laughs> so looking back, would you have had more serious conversations before you, per, you proposed or was it always something that you thought like, Oh, we would talk about it after the engagement that will come in the future. Yeah. So, so like, I think nowadays a lot of people, especially here in the United States, because I've traveled to a lot of places and I noticed things, you know, culturally that are different, but in the United States, things here are very uh, casual and sort of loose and people sort of just live day by day. And there are advantages uh, to that because other cultures are constantly obsessed with planning in the future. But here in the States, we're just kind of like, well, you know, let's just see what happens. That's sort of our, you know, slogan in this country when it comes to dating let's just see what happens and sometimes that can lead to very spontaneous and unexpected uh success Mm -hmm. but other times but other times that that kind of thinking can get you in a situation where you're like hey i've been dating this person for two three four five maybe even ten years and he still hasn't proposed to me or like you know, she's still going out partying every night and she's not being serious, you know, whatever. So I, I think like around that six month mark at the most, I think at that point you need to start, 
you know, setting some boundaries or, or, you know, having that sort of corporate meeting where you're like, okay, you've been with the company now for six months and you're doing a great job. And this is where we're, you know, we're going. (laughs) And we never had, we never had that conversation. It was just kind of like, well, let's just keep having fun. But as you get older, the days roll on faster and faster. You know, whenever you're small children, a minute seems like forever. You know, it, if your mother comes up to you and she's like, hey, stop talking just for five minutes, that feels like forever. But once you hit 25, 30, I mean, weeks, months, years just flow past you. They do. That is true. Six, six months in you would think about having that type of conversation with a person. Why six months? I mean, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. I know. I'm just asking. Well, on the opposite end of that, there is a such thing as having it too early, too. Like, I've gone out with people before, and it's the very first date or the very first dinner, and then they're like, you know, how many kids are you going to have? What's your credit score? What's this, this, this? And it's like, whoa, you know, I just met you like a week ago <laughs> at this event. And now you're trying to do like this full background check on me. Let's build up some kind of rapport and see if our energies are, are clicking first. So I don't necessarily want to put like a, a time limit. I mean, it could be three months. It could be one month, but once you feel like that basic connection is established and you feel in your heart, hey, you know what? I think I might be able to be with this person for a long time. I want to sit them down and see how they're feeling about it. But a lot of people push that emotion down because they're afraid like, oh, if I bring it up, maybe they'll get intimidated and they'll stop talking to me or you know, they'll They'll ghost me, you know, ghosting is is very common in today's dating culture as well. And then some people suppress their, their true feelings because they don't want to scare this other person off. So they stay on this roller coaster of having fun, but no commitments ever get made. And then, you know, 10 years later, you're you're still in this, what are we kind of thing? And, And that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. When you had that sit down conversation um, prior to when you were in you and your um, ex were like, oh, so like maybe we should start talking about where we live and um, how how many kids and, you know, just talking about the future. Like, was that just did that feel like it came out of nowhere or was it something that you're like, oh, we've been putting this off for a while, so I guess we should have it now? A little bit of both, because it had been brought up in the past a couple of times by her, you know, and, and I'll admit that I'm kind of wrong in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, It was brought up by her a couple of times. And then because of some of my past traumas, because of Mm -hmm. some of my past hurts, I had this fear of abandonment and this fear of of commitment that I wasn't recognizing. And I was the one that was like, Oh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. So it's actually kind of my fault that it kept getting pushed down the road. Um, so yeah, I, I blame myself uh, for it. Mm. And I, I guess on her end, maybe she could blame herself in saying that she should have 
drew the line sooner, but maybe she had some kind of hope for me that I would like, you know, come around or something. So in that regard, I, I kind of feel bad for her a little bit, but we were both enjoying each other quite a bit. And like I said, we were both in unfamiliar territory. She had just moved to my city. I had just started a new job. So we were both in a very lonely, vulnerable state. And mm -hmm. that's something that I learned as well is if you're meeting someone and, you know, maybe you're in a vulnerable state, maybe you just went through a divorce or maybe you just, you know, went through some traumatic experience. And then this person did too. That can be either a good thing or a bad thing that the good thing is that you can confide in, in each other. But the bad part of it is, is that if you're both in vulnerable states, you're also at a state where you can't be 100% honest because whenever you're in pain, you don't know what's real and what isn't because you're just hurting and you're looking for anything to take away the pain. Mm. <laughs> I, I have to breathe out like, whoo, like, like that, that, that right there was like a Dr. Phil moment, like, whew. Yeah, but pretty heavy stuff. And, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to what I'm saying. Something that you mentioned um, while you're talking, like maybe why she didn't say anything sooner with the whole thing that maybe hoping that you would come around or see things differently. I personally feel like a lot of women kind of will think that way, hold out as long as they can because, you know, They'll change, they'll change. Eventually you keep holding out and then it takes a long time sometimes to realize that you can't change a person. Like there's literally nothing you can do about it. Well, and here, here's one of my major pieces of advice for, for women, you know, speaking as a man. And of course, anything that I say is generalized. There's always exceptions to the rule. So I just want to throw that out there. But disclaimer. <laughs> yes, disclaimer, you know, by nature, by biology, by history, I mean, for, for millions of years, the reason why men have testosterone is that, you know, while a woman was pregnant, she was vulnerable. So men had to, you know, be taller and stronger generally to fight off wild animals and, and other, you know, neighboring tribes and all these kind of things. Men, by our nature, we are hunters. A man knows pretty quick whether he wants you or not. And a man may keep you around to satisfy some desires within him. But if a man really is into you, like if, if he's really feeling you and you demand some sort of commitment to him, like I'm actually a, a fan of ultimatums. I used to not be, but if I'm a father speaking to my daughter, which I don't have a daughter, but if you use an ultimatum in a respectful way, I'm not saying to like issue threats, like, you know, if you don't get me pregnant or you don't marry me, then I'm going to do this, this, like th th that's kind of psycho stuff, but ultimatum ultimatums in, in a respectful way, like, Hey, we've been dating for X amount of time and I'm the type of person who values marriage and I want a commitment, an engagement or a promise or this, this or this. If a man is really into you, he will make that happen. Like men, they make up their minds generally pretty quick. Uh, and even data shows this, that men are more likely to tell a woman that he loves her first before a woman. Like, like men, they fall in love pretty, pretty quick. 
pretty quick. So if a man's been dragging you around for, for months or even worse, like years, and he's still saying maybe like, you know, man to woman, anybody listening out there, like just, you know, kick that dude. You ain't that bad looking. You're a good person. There's somebody out there that, that wants the commitment you're looking for, you know, have an abundance mentality. Many more therapy. Um, yeah. Because that's rude. <laughs> <laughs> because that's this isn't the first time I've heard that advice. I've heard it for years now, it feels like, in which men will always know what they want. I feel like men need to go to therapy so that they can, you know, start getting rid of some of these toxic tat traits of just like holding on to people because they feel they're afraid of abandonment instead of wanting to commit to somebody. Well, well, you know, I think it is more prevalent in men, but I have seen it uh, in women too, especially in this generation, because we're, we're not in 1950 where it's illegal for a woman to work you know, like my grandmother, me and my grandmother are really close. She's 80 mm -hmm. years old. And I talked to her about her life quite a bit. And she was telling me back in her day, back in the 40s, if you were 25 years old as a woman and you weren't married, people thought something was really wrong with you. Because back in those times, they still do. But, <laughs> well, but it was to a worse degree back then, because back in those times, women couldn't work. So what else did you have to do with your life besides get married and have kids? So as soon as you turned 18, you were looking for a way to get out of your parents' house, you know? Mm -hmm. So she was telling me that, you know, back then getting married was pretty much your only way out of your parents' house. But nowadays women do have opportunities to sort of self-actualize and, you know, uh, they don't necessarily have to find fulfillment in, getting married or, or being under a, a man's arm. So there's been, there's been women that I've dated who had this hyper independent streak where they were like, I don't need a man. I just want a man for my pleasure. And I've been strung along as a guy where I was really into this girl because she was beautiful and smart and she checked all the boxes, but she was doing so good in her life. She was like, I'm going to put you on this, you know, back burner. And then, you know, six, seven months go down. And I'm like, she hasn't called me or texted me in like, you know, four or five days, like what's going on. And she's like, Oh, I, I got my thing going on. So I've been on both sides of the fence. I'm just saying that because of biological reasons, testosterone, I think it is more prevalent with men, but, but women out here playing this game too in 2021. <laughs> breaking, know, breaking heart, Would you rather breaking be needed or wanted? Is it better to be needed or wanted? No, no, no. Would you rather be needed or wanted? And you're getting philosophical on me here. Like because, Socrates over here. Okay. Well, like you said, it's 2021. I have a well-paying job that I anticipate being there for some years. I pay my own bills. I don't live under my parents' roof any longer. So I've gotten to the point like I don't need a man I want a partner, but I hear a lot on social media, a lot of men will say, oh, you know, I want to, it, it sounds like people want to be needed. Like they don't want a gold digger, but they want their 
partner to need them. But I just want a partner. I don't need one. So would you rather be wanted or needed? Man, that's a really good question. Like, really, really good question. We we find ourselves in a very interesting time in, in this point of life because for so long, you know, we had these very specific de- designed gender roles where it was like, okay, the man's going to go to work and he's going to earn the money and then he's going to come home. And if something breaks, he'll fix it. And he's supposed to be the muscle. If somebody talks bad to his, his wife, he'll, he'll kick their ass, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then women, women took care of the children. They washed clothes, washed dishes, kept everything in order, took all the, the, the kids to their doctor's appointments. There were these very clear roles that men and women had. So everybody sort of, you know, went down these paths that were sort of set for them and nobody was confused. But there was this subsection of people that was like, I don't want to be a housewife or I don't want to be this lockdown guy. I like being a bachelor and just going on random adventures. So where do I fit in society? And in 2021, especially if you live in a Western modern nation like the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany, France, you know, all these sort of modern countries and societies, there are a lot of men out here who feel like, you know, all right, I'm a strong guy like me. I come from a boxing family. You know, ever since I was a little kid, I had to wake up, run miles. I'm out here punching, you know, getting my so-called masculinity up, whatever. And I, and I feel like, and I also have a twin sister. Mm -hmm. So I had to, I had to protect her growing up, you know, boxing fools, whatever. But there are some women out here, they go to the gym and they work out and some of them are physically, you know, almost as strong as I am. Or there's women out here that are earning more money than I am. There's women out here that have two, three college degrees and they can speak six languages. And suddenly it's like, you know, by virtue of being a man, I'm, I'm not really needed in your life. And that can be very intimidating for, uh, for a lot of guys. And it can be very confusing as well, because in the last 10, 20 years, there's been this big push for, you know, women's rights. Let's get women in school. Let's get them educated. This, this, and and I'm all for that. I'm Mm -hmm. all for it. Wonderful things. But I feel like in 2021, we have to consider, uh, 70, over 70% of, of inmates felons. All right they were polled and tested. They don't have relationships with their fathers. One in four children are growing up in fatherless homes now. And that positive, now we always talk about toxic masculinity, but we're not having conversations about positive masculinity, you know? So I really feel like in this generation, men don't really know what it means to be a man because the last couple of years, all we've been told is there's a Me Too movement. And men are, you know, dangerous and, and men are, you know, uh, toxic masculinity and, you know, you don't have to be strong and actually being strong is a microaggression. And then men sort of feel like, you know, I don't know where I stand. And I think that, that that's a big problem that needs to be addressed. I think sometimes the fear that from a woman's perspective, oh yeah, sometimes the fear that... M- 
that I see that men have about toxic masculinity is they don't, they think that it's just about being tough and strong and paying bills and doing that. When, so uh, you said 70% of inmates don't have good relationships with their fathers. Maybe some of those relationships with their fathers is not necessarily being told, don't cry, just be stuff, tough, you know, be strong. Some of that is how you nurture masculinity. So I think that's the problem with the conversation of toxic masculinity. It's not about being tough because there are pe- people can be tough, but it's how you like nurture those relationships. And men, I constantly hear men saying like, oh, we're not nurturers. I was like, well, then how do you get your point across to other people? How do you raise a son to be a man if you don't nurture the, the traits that you want him to have? Well, and reinforcing well, yeah. the good ones, which I have an older brother. I could call him at any point and he could come and like, he's like, I used to call him. I'd be like, hey, what's up? He's like, do I need to come? And I'll be like, no, you're good. I'm good. I'm taken care of. It's fine. But I knew I, he had my back. But he also had nurtured a relationship with me in which I could like, obviously he didn't want me to cry on his shoulder, but like we can talk socially and it wasn't constantly a competition about things. And like, there are traits in men that I think are attractive. Like I'm not, I think masculinity is attractive. I just don't want you telling me what I can and cannot do as I am also an adult. But I also don't want you going to beat up any person who's like, looks at me. Appreciate that you have somebody with you who is also good looking. He has good taste, but I'm going home with you. So I think some of the, the ideas of toxic masculinity is like, you could be masculine, but maybe tone some of it down. Well, well, you've said a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. So, so first and foremost, I think that a big problem that's happening now with masculinity versus femininity, like I said, pick up that passport. Instead of putting this broad definition on everybody as to what femininity or masculinity should be, just go seek out that person that meets your criteria because there's all kinds of people out there. There there are women who like to be submissive. There are women who are very independent. And guys find all different kind of of things attractive. Same thing for women. There are some women that like guys that are super muscular and and loud and so-called alpha male. And there are some women who are attractive to sensitive guys that speak softly and like poetry. And that doesn't make, you know, one, you know, wrong wrong or, 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 or right. But if you're painting this broad stroke for everybody, then that's when you create conflicts. And especially living in the United States, diversity is sort of our strength. And this might be a controversial statement, but it's also one of our our weaknesses because unlike other countries where everyone kind of speaks the same language, everybody looks the same, whatever, everybody can kind of get on the same page faster. Whereas in the United States, because we have so much diversity, we are more innovative, we can come up with uh, more creative solutions, but there's more arguments here because we have so many different religions and races and ways of thinking all living in, in one space. We're all constantly fighting about which way is best and nobody can get on the same page. And the other part I wanted to unpack of what you were saying too about men having a hard time dealing with 
discovering what masculinity is and relationships, we have to consider that the divorce rates in the United States hover anywhere from 55 to 60 percent. It's been stable around that range for the last 10 or 15 years. And, And I'm someone who's worked as a private investigator and a paralegal. I've done so many divorce cases. And if we if we look back to 1955, yes, we had segregation. We had a lot of racism. We had a lot of uh, we had a lot of bad things in society, but there were some good things too. As a society, everyone sort of agreed that you know it was marriage was good, family was good. We all kind of believe in a higher power. You know, um, atheism was sort of at a lower rate back then. We, we sort of had these core values that we all kind of centered around, but nowadays everyone's so in all these different directions, there's no unity. And because the divorce rates are so high, you know, we have no fault divorce. Whereas before, if you wanted to get a divorce, you had to go before a judge, you had to go through all these therapy lessons, you had to earn your way out of the relationship. And there were pros and cons. But now it's so easy to get a divorce, you just pay 600 bucks, file the paperwork, and you're out. It's so easy to dissolve a marriage now for a lot of people. For some people, now if there's money and property and kids involved, yes, it becomes more expensive and, and, and you know longer process. But through that divorce process, people are losing touch with their with their fathers, me, me included. My parents divorced when I was 13, and I didn't see my dad for 10 years after that. And that that left a huge gaping hole. Uh, and who I was as as a boy trying to discover himself. I think sometimes we oversimplify how easy divorce is, mostly because we are a nation of 50 individual ideas of how things work. Some states, it's a calendar year, regardless of children, therapy, and different things are required. But I think sometimes we also forget that, like, when adults make decisions that children end up being the unintended victims of those decisions. Amen. So, like your parents didn't want to see each other anymore. And unfortunately that left you in the balance, missing out on years with your dad. And we could say there are different reasons as to why that happened. And we're not going to, we don't need to get too deep into why, but I think that sometimes adults need to, take themselves out of the equation sometimes and focus on who's the most important in the scenario is making a stability for the child. Well, well, and this brings me back to my point with my grandmother and I'm so grateful to have her in my life. She's getting older. She has a lot of health problems. I'm not sure how much time she has left, but she's 80 years old. And yes, some of her thinking is a little bit, you know, backwards because mm-hmm. she's from a different generation. Sometimes we, we do clash on you know political issues, but there was something that she told me that kind of hit me. And she said, one of the, one of one of the main differences between my generation and your generation, and you know, I'm speaking from her perspective, mm-hmm. she said that in my generation, we put our happiness last. And we put our families, our duties to our families, to our countries, to our communities, all that came first. And then our personal happiness was bottom on the list. In our generation, 
our personal happiness is above everything. How many times do we hear, hey, as long as it makes you happy, hey, go follow your truth. What if your truth and your happiness leads to the destruction of other people's lives or the, the destruction of your family or your society and the the notion of self-sacrifice is starting to lose some of its um, some of its power. And now I'm not saying if you're in a super abusive situation to be some martyr and be like, well, even though my boyfriend or my husband or my wife you know, is, is being abusive or toxic person, I'm going to stay here because, you know, if you're in danger or you're in a, such a horrible situation, then you, sometimes it's just not worth it to make that sacrifice. But I would say that there are a large number of people out there who have gotten a divorce just because, hey, I'm bored or, you know what, my wife gained a little bit of weight and I don't find her attractive anymore or, hey, I love my husband, but I met this guy at work and he makes really good money and he has you know, an exciting life. Even though we have children together, I want to go live my best life. I'm out of here. I mean, that, that's sort of what our culture and society is promoting. I mean, me and myself, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and we love to party here. It's Music City. <laughs> I, I go to downtown Nashville sometimes on the weekends to hang out with some friends. They have literal divorce parties. I see these people walking around these big groups and they have these t-shirts saying, I just got divorced and they're popping bottles. Now it, I told my grandma about this and she said back in my day, if people were doing that, you know, they would be shunned. You know, now I'm not against people getting a divorce. There are, there are some people that definitely need to get divorced. But at the same time, do you really need to celebrate it and go buy a cake and, and like, you know, post about it on Instagram and buy some t-shirts and get a tattoo and be like, Hey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, th there has to be some kind of a, of a middle ground where we can take what we've learned from our ancestors and what we've learned from, our more traditional previous generations and then take some of the common sense and some of the progressive values from our current generation and kind of meet in the middle. I feel like if you go way over to the left or way over to the right, everybody looks crazy nowadays. They, like, everybody just looks crazy. That's true. Everybody will, whichever side you're standing on, somebody's going to look crazy to you eventually. We're not all on the, nobody's on the same page at all. Ever. It, it, meet me, meet me in the middle. We like, don't know how to get to the middle. That's our problem. I'm telling you, like we agree on that. Like the, the middle, even if you're eating something, the middle is always the juiciest part of the steak. Come, come and join the party. The middle is where it's at. Come on people. <laughs> all right well randall first of all i want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and dropping all these little nuggets of wisdom that you've had giving us the guy perspective on different things thank you for being open and honest but before we let you go we have one last question that we ask all of our guests and that question is is marriage worth it we talk about all that and then now you're going to drop me with this final question is marriage worth it 
Well, I'm a child of divorce. I've, like I said, worked as a paralegal and I've processed hundreds of divorces. I'm probably the number one candidate to tell you that it's not worth it. You know, the average divorce costs anywhere from, from five to $30,000. I've seen lives be ruined over it. But with all that being said, even with divorce rates, you know, being close to 60% in this country, with all that being said, the best times in my entire life is when I had that first kiss, when I was talking to someone and having that hope that this is going to work out. And I want to refer everybody, even if you're not religious, you know, in, in, in the book of John in the Bible, those who do not know God do not know those who do, who do not know love do not know God, for God is love. And I truly do believe that love in its most honest expression, where both people are being upfront with everything and who they are as a person, and it comes together with that naked truth and it fuses together, if it happens on that level, and you have that partner where it's like, hey, I'm going to kill and die for you and I'm going to kill and die for you. And it's going to be me and you against all the demons in this world. If it comes down to that level, then marriage is worth it. Well, thank you so much, Randall, for giving us that little nugget. Um, so if anyone's interested in any of my writings, I've written on, you know, family law and divorce. I've written on philosophy, communication, relationships. I've written on all kinds of topics. If you're interested in anything I have to say about those topics, then you can just Google my name, Randall Stroud, R-A-N-D-E-L-L, -L, last name S-T-R-O-U-D. If you just Google my name, all of my information will come up and I hope that you'll check it out. Well, thanks for being with us. You can follow the show at Marriage Worth It at Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also email the show at ismarriageworthit at gmail.com. Give us any show ideas or anything um, about the show's questions or concerns. Thanks for listening. I'm Monique. And I'm Janelle. And this has been... Is marriage worth it? <laughs>